I want to start uh, this morning by wishing you a happy new year. And some of you are like, what? The gym I work out at, there are only two times a year that they do like a, a big push to get people involved and do stuff. And one of those times is, is right, right now. Of course, they do January. But the other one is now. And for those of us who probably spent too much time in school, this is kind of ringing with us, right? I, I'm one of those folks, right? I always tell people about my undergrad experience that um, I graduated a year early. And then I tell them I was on the six-year plan. I spent too much time in school, and so every time we roll around to spring break, if I don't get one, something's wrong. And then this time of the year feels more like New Year to me than January does, because this is when it all starts, a whole new school year, a whole new, a whole new deal. And what I want to do today in our sermon is, with the, the reading that was assigned today, is talk about sort of how we get our head on straight for this new program year, this new school year that's starting today, and really how we find the fuel and the energy and the grounding for it. And it's not just for this year, of course, it's, it's, it's the fuel and energy for all of life. And this is one of those sermons that I think is really um, goes to the very core of who we are and what we're about. Because, you know, one of the great privileges, I've said this before, but one of the incredible privileges of being a, a priest is that you, this, in a sense, sort of this stranger, get invited into these most holy times in people's lives. One of which is the end of their lives, right? So I've spent many a day helping people get ready to die. And, you know, there's lots to think about right there. It's really a gift to get us to see that and work with people in that place. But nobody ever gets on their deathbed and says, oh, I wish I'd spent more time at work. Nobody says, I wish I had more toys. It, there really, it all comes down to these two F's. It's always about faith and family. I mean, almost, I, can, I really can't think of a single exception to that. I mean, even if people weren't particularly spiritual in their lives, they come back to what's going to happen. It brings them back to these spiritual things. But faith and family. And I think today's gospel lesson speaks into both of those. Because it's stuff that's going to go deep into our, our own faith journeys and taking us to a deeper place. But I also think it's something that we realize the more we, we draw upon this, the more we minister to our own family from this place, it brings about more unity. And it's a reminder, for, at least for the parents in the room, that the more that our children will someday be in that place too. They will someday be on a deathbed. And the thing I think at least I want as a parent is for them to be about faith and family. And so I think this brings us back to it, right? So that's where I want to go today. I want to kind of look at those from our, our passage. And our passage today really focuses in on bread. I don't know if you noticed it. This, the most popular common food I think around the world always going to be on the top of the list somewhere. Bread. And over the last number of weeks, this sixth chapter of John has been going again and again and again talking about this. And um, that's where we are again today. And for those of you who maybe are coming back from your summer, wherever you were, let me just quickly, because it's good for all of us, to think about where we've been in this sixth chapter of John. So it all started at the beginning of chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. This great miracle. It's told in all four Gospels. And if you remember what happened in John's gospel is after Jesus does this miracle, um, the people are like, they've seen all this teaching, they get all these great miracles, and now they're ready to make him king. And Jesus is like, this isn't my time. He, he escapes, he withdraws to a quiet place. And then in the middle of the night, the disciples have headed across the Sea of Galilee. He walks on the water to Capernaum. The next morning... People get up, realize he's not there. They cross the sea themselves, and they find him there. 
And then we get this place in Scripture where we have these, uh, some people call it the, the bread discourses, where Jesus is going to go on and on talking about bread. That's where we are on part of this today. But when the people first arrived, they're not where Jesus wanted them because they're all about their earthly hunger. And Jesus wants them to get what the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 signified. He wants them to realize that the stuff he's talking about is going to nurture them to eternal life. He doesn't want them to get caught up just on their earthly hungers. And this is one of those moments where we pause and we're mindful that this is our, always our own temptation as well. That we're so busy trying to figure out how we're going to make money and educate kids and do all the stuff we need to do to, for these worldly things that we can just miss this whole picture of the stuff that's ultimately going to matter most to us as we wind down our lives, right? I mean, we can lose, lose all that. And that's going on with them. Jesus is like, you're missing the bigger picture. And, and we don't want to be saying, look, what's wrong with them? Because that's often us as well. All of that leads up to our passage today. And we get this passage, which is part of the bread discourse. And the very first part of it, the very first verse, 51, um, John says, has Jesus saying, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. And Jesus is going to go on also to talk about his blood. And we look at these passages, I want to suggest that there are two um, interpretations or views of these verses. And they're not mutually exclusive. I want us to hear both of them. The first one of these is sort of the general sense of this passage. This idea that... Um, Jesus' revelation, his teaching, is drawing us to a deeper place to come and walk with him. A place where we'll find significance, where we'll find meaning, where we'll find this, this stuff that matters. One of my favorite um, biblical commentators is the late William Barclay, and he says this about this passage. He says, it's as if Jesus said, feed your heart, feed your mind, feed your soul on the thought of my humanity, on his, uh, that he left the throne and became human and what his teaching is about. And if we go there, it takes us to a really, really deep place. I've, t I've already used, um, told this story earlier in the summer, but um, for those of you who are coming back from your lake houses and mountain houses and all the other stuff, one of the cool things you missed this summer was pub theology, where we met in a local pub and we did these talks. It was, it was fantastic. But the, the first one of these we did was with Charlie Duke, um, who's been a friend of mine for 30 years. I met him when I was five. Not, not really. Not, not really. I wish. <laughs> I wish. But Charlie Duke is, so there are 12 people that walked on the moon. There are only four that are alive. We're heading into next summer, which will be 50, the 50-year 50 anniversary of it. He's one of the four that's still alive. And he spoke uh, at the start of June about this. And Charlie Duke tells us, I love it. I mean, I love his story because he, he talks about, you know, I'm th I think he was 34 years old. He says, I'm 34 years old. I've been to the moon. I've walked on the moon. I came back, I became a general in the Air Force, then I bought and sold a beer distributorship, made a lot of money, and then you're sitting around going, what, what's, what is there? And so it takes him to this place of grappling to what is life really about. And that's where he really goes deep and finds Jesus. And so to this day, now he's in his 80s, that's still the song he's saying. You can go climb those mountains, you can go make the money, you can do all this stuff, but ultimately the thing that's going to go deep is this. And that's part of what this is about. The food that's going to sustain us is this. And I think when we go to that deep place and get our priorities right, that allows us to minister to our families. 
where we're drawing on God's grace and love and we got our heads on straight about what really matters and we're not, we're not running around teaching our kids that it's about having the nicest car and the biggest house and the whatever else, that that ultimately is not what's going to matter. That is not part of our Christian faith, right? And we think about these kinds of things, you know, um, this passage has more to say than that. The, um, basically universal at this time was people were not into cannibalism. And this passage would have been like, I think the Jews listening to it are a little shocked because when you, when you first read it, eating my flesh, drinking my blood, you're like, I'm going to explain more about that in a few minutes. But this blood piece, I think we need to pause on for a minute and think about the Jewish teaching on it, right? Because for Jews down to this day, uh, the blood of an animal, any animal, is the essence of the animal. And that's why you get into all the kosher stuff about blood, right? Leviticus 17 telling, telling us not to eat meat that has the blood in it. And they still carry on with this, right? So there's kosher kitchens and butchering and all this stuff. But the reason is because the essence of the animal is in the blood. And Jesus is more or less saying, drink my blood. Part of what he's saying is take my essence deep into you. And, you know, I think start of a new year, new program year, is a great time to ask if we're doing that. I heard the story of, um, of this, or this analogy of thinking about this bookcase you may have, and you've got this great book that's always set on the shelf. And maybe it's Shakespeare or Browning or one of the great poets or something. And it's always been there, sitting in the bookcase. And one day you pick it up and you begin to read it. And you begin to think, wow, that's beautiful. And you begin to read it again and again and take it on board. And it begins to come into you. And, and you ponder it and meditate on it and think about it. And it goes from being out there on the bookcase to being part of who you are on the inside. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying when, he, when he's asking us to eat and drink his blood. He doesn't want this concept of God and who he is to be a theological concept on the outside that we debate and we learn about and we talk about. He wants it to be something internal that we take on board deep in us. And this is a great time to think about where are we on that, right? I think that's the first general sense that we read these passages about. This deep teaching and revelation of Jesus. His invitation to do his work and walk with him. The second piece, I think, is maybe the one some of you have already were thinking about when you read it. Is the Eucharist itself. Now, let me pause here for a second. If you don't know the order of all the Gospels, this fourth Gospel of John is the last one that was written. Scholars say probably written around the year 100. So John is either a super old man when he writes this, or some scholars think his closest disciples, the Johannian disciples, wrote it based on what he told over his, his time of teaching them and working with them. But we, it's our last gospel. And it, he doesn't try to make it a literal historical thing. He's doing theological interpretations. He's going to tell you in the final chapter, John, I wrote this so that you might believe. He's, he's writing with theological interpretation all the way through. And when we get to this passage, I think he wants you to also think about the Eucharist. Um, N.T. Wright, who is this Oxford biblical scholar, now an Anglican bishop, um, he talks about the Greek. And I'm not by any means a Greek um, expert or anything. But he says, he is, and he says, when you go look at the words we're talking about eating his flesh, it's not just like eat, it's like super physical words. It's more like come and munch on the flesh or come and chew on it. He really, and, and he says to that, he goes on to say this. This is what um, N.T. Wright says. He says, easily the best explanation of this is that John understands Jesus' language here to refer to the Eucharist. 
And uh, the great Roman Catholic scholar, Raymond Brown, says that he thinks that even this very first verse I read a minute ago is a Eucharistic formula that, that was used at the time that John had heard, and he repeats. So in a, few, in a little bit later when we're doing the Eucharistic prayers, there's that place where um, probably one of the most sacred moments of the whole time of the altar, the priest will hold up the wafer and said, this is my body which is given for you. That's a Eucharistic formula from the first three Gospels. And what Raymond Brown is saying is he thinks that one of the Eucharistic formulas at the time was this same thing where holding it up and saying, the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. That it's that kind of formula. So it's drawing us back to thinking about the Eucharist. And there's more to us to think about. There's a lot of stuff to unpack from there, right? Because John's gospel is the only one that doesn't have the Last Supper. And some people have said that, well, John puts it here because he wants us to understand it's not just connected with Jesus' death. It's not just something we do to remember him dying for us. But it's about the living bread. It's about the living now. It's about sustaining us to in the here and now. So I think as we start a new year, I love that this is the assigned reading for today in the lectionary. Because I think it takes us to these two deep places that fill us up. The first is this bread of life that um, sustains us, that takes us to a deep place of Jesus asking us to walk with him. Of Jesus asking us to learn the rhythms of grace. To enter into this dialogue with him. Prayer and scripture. And this year, um, I'll stop here to just say a couple things. This year, the church is diving deeper on scripture. Today, we're starting this God's story campaign in the church. The um, Sunday schools that we have are going to be in the church that, for most of the time that are going to unpack the Bible over the next nine months are going to walk right through it because we want to go deeper in this dialogue. We're going to start reading the Bible today, this afternoon at 3, for 72 hours. So get your Red Bull and just go sit in there. You get the whole Bible by Wednesday afternoon, I think, or something like that. Um, it's, it, we're, kick, we're kicking this off. And then in here, starting next week, we're going to start a sermon series where over the next uh, five or six weeks, we're going to talk about giving you the tools to go deeper in your own study of the Bible. And I've thrown this challenge down many times in my ministry. But if you will read the Bible, you will be changed. You will be changed in a deeper way and you'll enter in this dialogue like you've never done. So as we start a new year and you want to invest in your own faith and you want to invest in the unity and faith you're imparting to your family, I want to encourage you to come, come to this place and do that. That's the first piece. And the second um, part of this fuel thing is the sacrament. And maybe we don't say enough about that either. But Jesus invites us into this profound mystery where he gives himself to us. And, you know, we, we're going to read all this stuff in a minute at the altar. But I love that there's a mystery in it. I love that Jesus gives himself fully to us. We, we hear these words about how he's broken for us. And for all of us who deal, all of us deal with pain in life. All of us have tears in life. I love that every week we're, we're not only having him give himself to us, but we hear how he was broken for us. Because he's not distant from our pain and our suffering. He's in it. And that is always part of the Christian message, that he's in it that way. And then I love that the communion, um, we do this at the 9 o'clock service in here. We, we don't do it in here, but we always invite the, the kids up to the altar and they surround the altar but it's always a reminder to me that part of communion is that we're a family brought to one table. And there's always this communal aspect of, of communion. That we're invited to be one family, to have this unity, to be brought together this way. And 
your not being here some Sunday affects us all. We're meant to walk together. All of Scripture is meant to be read in community. We're meant to have communion in community. It's worth the effort. I would strongly encourage you, if you're not sick and you're in town, be here. That's how you grow. That's part of what we're, we're about in this communion. And I also think there's a supernatural strength that we get from communion. When you look at the, the biggest things and the hardest things in life, people will oftentimes do it before communion. If people are about to go into battle, the army chaplain is doing communion on the hood of the car. If a king's about to get coronated, they're doing communion. If it's last rites I talked about earlier, if they're up to it, we're doing communion. It's this most sacred thing that gives us strength for the things that we face ahead of us. Week after week, we do it. Both of these things in our gospel lesson today, I think, take us back to the core pillars of word and sacrament. That's the fuel that fuels us for all of life, and certainly as we start a new program year. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you know us by name, and you call us in grace Despite where we've been or anything we've done, you call us um, to experience your embrace and your love and to walk with you. Lord, we commit this new year to you, this new school year, this new program year, wherever we are. And we ask that you would help us in our own walk, that you'd help us to minister to those in our lives from your grace and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.